You're listening to a Powetcast, an audio netcast from Powet TV. P O W E T dot TV. Chell it. Welcome back for the penultimate time. This week we are presenting the final episode in the Not Them Productions' unique interpretation of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy primary phase. If you're new to the netcast, you've nearly missed the whole thing by this point. Listen to episodes 1 through 6, still available on iTunes, powet.tv, and that'sorange.com to get the rest of the story. This week we are presenting Fit the Sixth, but first we will be reviewing Fit the Fifth, since it diverges significantly from the original radio broadcast version. If you're not terribly interested in listening to our witty banter, skip ahead to about the eight-minute mark. Last week on Fit the Fifth. (laughs) (laughs) So as we mentioned last episode, um, Fit the Fifth was mostly recorded, um, except for some of Max Cordelplein's lines. So how do you feel, Keith, about being the voice actor again after all this time? Uh, not too bad. It actually went a lot better than I was thinking, and I did it all by myself, because I'm, I'm a chicken like that. You don't really notice in most of the uh, finished product, because Colin's an incredible editor, but uh, some of it was done like syllable by syllable, and I just cut out the little bits in between. Oh, yeah, you really can't tell. That That was all Keith's editing job. He recorded all of his dialogue and then fixed any problems in it before I showed up, and... Um, I pretty much took what he recorded, added a slight echo effect to it, and that was it. So if if things were recorded syllable by syllable, the credit goes to Keith. On top of the missing dialogue, most of the sound editing and mixing have been done during the production of this netcast. And as I understand it, part of the reason was uh, your elaborate plans for the background noise in the restaurant. Uh, yeah, we were going to be really awesome. I mean, we had this plan out. Khan and I had this whole sequence of events. We wrote these... It's a dialogue with ran- mm-hmm. between random mm-hmm. characters, and we're going to record all these, and we're going to put them all in the background along with some cabaret music. So in the back, you can hear someone say, <laughs> "Oh, the fish is great. I hate the fish." And that was—I don't remember what they were. That's exactly what we the, carefully. The, the only thing that's left is the iguanas. That's the only thing we yeah. actually got recorded because the uh, concept of the fish came fairly easy, but saying that it was great and then disagreeing with it. <laughs> Damn it, Colin. <laughs> That is an act of pure creative will. This fit also introduced some new voice actors. Uh, Lindsay is the dish of the day. Josh Talbot also did uh, The Waiter. Oh, uh, Tom, you had a pretty interesting story about delivering your monologue to Hot Black. My friend Rob, Robert, who did the voice of uh, the Hot Black Desi Auto's guard, who was so he had to be there for the recording of that sequence anyway. And so I uh, used him as Hot Black Desi Auto because in the show he's talking to this by it has no response. And Robert just sat there. And I was leaning on Robert, putting my arm around him. I jostled him in the shoulder. I used him kind of as a dummy. Robert kept ruining takes by laughing. <laughs> so we had, to re- we had to redo it several times. But it, it was, it, the end product was really good. And uh, Robert's performance, once again, were good as the guard. Since this thing was being edited uh, recently, uh, I remember, Colin, you had an idea for the disaster area narration bit. Keith and I are somewhat unclear as to no, who's idea. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Cut it out. We'll fix it in editing. The original recording has a fair amount of background hiss. When we tried to put it over other music, the narration was always too quiet, and if we increased the volume of the narration, then the hiss would be too loud. What I really wanted to do was re-record the narration as if I was trying to shout over a rock concert. But um, Keith shot that down on the grounds that... He didn't want to record anything that we already had recorded. For some reason, when you take it, reverse it, and play it back over itself, going forwards and backwards at the same time, um, somehow the narration comes out 
audible over that. It's a quiet for loud effect. It's kind of like wet for dry, but it's quiet for loud. One of the new recordings you also made uh, was the Reg Nullify uh, lounge singer. Yeah, the part of Reg Nullify was not in the original radio broadcast. It was written for the LP release of the radio show. The BBC re-recorded the whole thing to release it on LP. And uh, actually, that was the origin of Hot Black Desiato. We liked the song that Reg sings, and so we wanted to use it in our version. I remember Tom recorded the vocals for it, but I was never able to come up with a satisfactory MIDI arrangement to play in the back of that. So I did something different and did my own vocals. And um, it sounds pretty good. Good thing nobody can actually hear the uh, the lyrics to the second verse. Adhesive medical strips. At the end of Fit the Fifth, the gang escaped from the restaurant with Hot Black Ship, the first significant divergence from the radio show. What was the original ending? Well, in the original ending, um, they ended up stealing... Who the heck were those people? The Hagunenons. Yes, they ended up stealing their flagship, and they're a giant army thing who were going to go attack some people. Right, they were um, also, incidentally, shape-shifting aliens. Yeah, they were shapeshifters, and they turned into shoes and leopards and that sort of thing. Right, being shapeshifters, they didn't notice that the people that they were talking to over the video link were not the people that uh, they expected to be talking to. Uh, as it turns out, the actual crew of the ship that our heroes have stolen are posing as furniture aboard the ship, and they start shifting into other things and... Our heroes start getting um, eaten. It would have been a great time to resurrect and add to the bug bladder beast of Troll sound effect, but we ended up not using that. There were there were a number of really good lines in the original version that unfortunately we had to cut out, such as uh, when the Hagunenons are being described by the Hitchhiker's Guide. It talks about how if, for example, they can't reach the coffee spoon during lunch, They'll simply evolve into something that has much longer arms, but which is quite incapable of drinking the coffee. And so a little bit later on, Zaphod is sitting in a chair and admiring how he likes it. He would just like something with slightly longer arms, and Arthur chimes in, but which is quite incapable of drinking coffee, which, unless you've been paying pretty good attention, is a joke that you completely miss. It seems to me that the creation of the hot black character was necessitated by um, the description of the ship and all the black controls and its frictionless surface, which, you know, me not knowing that it had originally been written this way, I would have never guessed. Hot Black Desiato was the name of, I believe, a real estate agent, and uh, Douglas Adams just happened to be driving past one of his signs and decided it was a brilliant name and wanted to use it. I guess he um, called Mr. Desiato to obtain permission to do so, and Mr. Desiato now gets complaints from people that think it was kind of cheap to you know, steal his name from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But Dope! Whatever. Well, this is it. After eight long years and seven long weeks, we are finally coming to fit the sixth of the primary phase. Uh, this is the conclusion to a fairly complete arc where we will finally know the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything, or its nearest equivalent. The author will be completely indisposed and unable to inform the mice. As always, be sure to check out the show notes at Powet TV and enjoy the rest of the episode. Us presents The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Fit the Six. Will the ultimate question to life, the universe, and everything, to which the answer is 42, be discovered? Will our heroes be able to control their newly stolen spaceship? 
Will all end happily or in the certain death that has threatened them so persistently? Starring Caleb Gesslin and Sean Kors as Zephod Bubelbrox, Alice Ecker as Trillian, number one, and the marketing girl, Keith Everson as number two and the caveman, Thomas Martinson as Ford Prefect, Lindsay Plank as the hairdresser, Craig Weber as Arthur Dent and the management consultant, and Colin Gonyu as Book Marvin, the radio announcer, the stage crew, and the Golga Frenching captain. The history of every major galactic civilization has gone through three distinct and recognizable phases. Those of survival, huh? inquiry, huh? and sophistication, what? otherwise known as the how, why, and where phases. For instance, the first phase is characterized by the question, how can we eat? The second by the question, why do we eat? And the third by the question, where shall we have lunch? Though it may take a large civilization many thousands of years to pass through the how, why, and where phases, small social groupings under stressful conditions can pass through them with extreme rapidity. Meanwhile, the Earthman Arthur Dent, to whom all of this can be of only academic interest, has just left the restaurant at the end of the universe without having eaten, for reasons which are far too complex to reiterate at this late stage in the series. Thus... How are we doing? Badly. Where are we going? I don't know! Why not? Shut, Shut up. up! Basically what you're trying to say is that you can't control it. It's the wild color scheme that freaks me. When you try and operate one of these weird black controls... Which are labeled in black on a black background. A small black light lights up black to let you know you've done it. What is this? Some kind of intergalactic hyperhearse? Perhaps whoever designed it had eyes that respond to different wavelengths. Well, I didn't have much imagination. Perhaps he was feeling very depressed. Now take it easy, you're making me feel space sick. Time sick, we're plummeting backwards through time. Oh God, no, I think I really am going to be ill. Go ahead, we could do with a little color about the place. Oh, this is meant to be pleasant after dinner conversation, is it? Look, Earthman, you've got a job to do right. The ultimate question, right? There's a lot of loot tied up in that head thing of yours. I mean, think of the merchandising. Ultimate question t-shirts. Ultimate question biscuits. All right, but uh, where do we start? How am I supposed to know the ultimate so-called answer is 42. How am I supposed to know? It It could be anything. I mean, what's six times seven? Uh, Carry the four. Uh, oh, oh, 42. 42! I know that. I'm just saying the question could be anything. But you were there when that planet did the big firework. You have to know. I know. Shut up, Marvin. This is organism talk. It's printed in the Earthman's brainwave patterns, but I don't suppose you'd be interested in knowing that. You mean you can read my mind? Yes. And? It amazes me how you can live in anything so small. Ah, abuse. Yes. Ignore him, he's just making it up. Making it up? Why should I want to make anything up? Life's bad enough without having to make up any more of it. Marvin, if you knew all along, why didn't you tell us? You didn't ask. Well, we're asking you now, Metal Man. You mean the ultimate question? Yes. Yes. The ultimate question to life, the universe, and everything. Yes! To which the answer is 42. Yes! I can tell you're not really interested. Just tell us, will you? Hey, that sounds better. Have you managed to make some sense of the controls? No, I just stopped fiddling with them. 
I think this ship has a far better idea of where it's going than we do. I wonder who this ship belongs to, anyway. Me. No, who it really belongs to. Really? Me. Look, property is theft, right? So therefore, theft is property. Therefore, this ship is mine. Who tell the ship that? Ship. This is your new owner speaking. Okay, channel 9 on power, testing channel 15. Channel 15 A-OK. The black sunship is now in position, looking good. It's going to be a great sundive. Is the station computer online? Online. Take control of the black ship. Black ship locked into trajectory program on standby. Testing channel 20. What does sundive mean? It means the ship is going to dive into the sun. Sun. Dive. It's really quite simple. What do you expect when you steal Hot Mac Desiato's stunt ship? How do you know this is his stunt ship? Simple. I parked it for him. Then why didn't you tell us? You said you wanted excitement, adventure, and really wild things. But this is awful! That's what I said. See if you can get a different station. Fine weather for the concert here this afternoon. I'm standing here in front of the stage in the middle of the rutlet desert. And with the aid of hyperbionoptic glasses, I can just make out the huge audience cowering there on the horizon all around me. Behind me, the speaker stacks rise like a sheer cliff face, and above me, the sun is shining away and doesn't know what's going to hit it. The environmentalist lobby do know what's going to hit it, and they claim that the concert will cause earthquakes, tidal waves, hurricanes, irreparable damage to the atmosphere, and all the usual crap that environmentalists usually go on about. But I've just had a report from a representative of Disaster Area who met with the environmentalists at lunchtime and had them all shot. So nothing now lies in the way of the concert. You know what I'm thinking? I think so. Tell me what you think I'm thinking. I think you're thinking it's time we go out the ship. I think you're right. I think you're right. Why? What's happening? Quiet. We're We're thinking. thinking. I don't think I quite understand. This ship is just one giant stage prop, and it's going to dive into the sun. And, uh, that's bad, is it? Yes! Perhaps there's something you can do with your towel. No! So this is it. We're going to die. Will Will you stop saying that? One of the things that Ford Prefect always found the most perplexing about human beings was their peculiar habit of continually stating and restating the very, very obvious. As in, it's a nice day, or, oh my, you're very tall, or, so this is it, we're going to die. His first theory was that if human beings don't keep exercising their lips, their mouths probably seize up. After a few months of observation, he had come up with a second theory, which was this. If human beings don't keep exercising their lips, their brains start working. In fact, this second theory is more literally true of the Belserabon people of Cacrafoon. The Belserabon people used to cause great resentment and insecurity amongst neighboring races by being one of the most enlightened, accomplished, and above all quiet civilizations in the galaxy. As punishment for this behavior, which was held to be offensively self-righteous and provocative, a galactic tribunal inflicted on them that most cruel of all social diseases, telepathy. Consequently, in order to prevent themselves from broadcasting every slightest thought that crossed their minds to anyone in a five-mile radius, they now have to talk very loudly and continuously about the weather, their little aches and pains, the match this afternoon, and what a noisy place Cacrafoon had suddenly become. Another method of temporarily blotting out their minds is to play host to a disaster area concert. This is it. We're right on course for the sun. Four, how many escape capsules are there? None. Did you count them? Twice. Did you get the stage girl on the radio? Yeah. I said there was a whole lot of people up here. They said there was a whole lot of nothing they could do. 
Did you tell them who you were? Yeah. They said it was a great honor. Incidentally, um, what does teleport mean? What? what? Sorry, probably the wrong time to ask. Where does it say teleport? Over there. Um, under the word emergency, above the word system, and next to the sign saying out of order. Hells, donkeys. It seems okay. It's... Looks like it's just the guidance system. Who cares where we go? Let's just go! No, no, the auto system's gone. Someone would have to stay behind. Hey, Marvin, how you doing, kid? Very badly, I expect. Would you like to, um... Lay down my life. Consign my brain, which is the size of a planet, to death in the heart of a sun. No need to go on about that. All right, all right. You'd better all get into the teleport. Thanks, Marvin. Thanks, Marvin. Metal pal. Excitement, adventure, and really wild things. Some people might have expected better treatment, but I'm far too intelligent for that. Far, far too intelligent. space? No, I think we've actually materialized inside of the spaceship. More problems. Well, we'll see. Checks, uh, atmosphere is okay. Let's get out and take a look. Ford? Yeah? Look, um, what about the others? Arthur, you'll have to learn. It's a convention in all space-traveling species that if you have to, you know, ditch someone, you know, a friend, and there's nothing you can do, you just let it be and you don't talk about them, okay? What? Really? And then we get blind drunk about them later. I think there must be something terribly wrong with the universe, you know. I think there must be something terribly wrong with this ship. Yeah, looks like a mausoleum. Hey, you're right. This place is full of sarcophagi as far as the eye can see. Wild. What's so great about dead people? I don't know. Let's have a look. There's a plaque on this one. What does it say? Uh, Fritchum Ark Fleet, Ship B, Hold 7, Telephone Sanitizer, Second Class. And a serial number. Telephone sanitizer? A dead telephone sanitizer? Best kind. But what's he doing here? Not a lot. No, but I mean what? Good God, this one's a dead hairdresser. And this one's an advertising account executive. Are these really coffins? They're terribly cold. All right, hold it right there. Uh, uh, hello? Why isn't anyone ever pleased to see us? Uh, Captain? Yes, number one? Just had a sort of report thing from number two. Oh dear. He was shouting something or other about having found some prisoners. Well, perhaps that'll keep him happy for a bit. He's always wanted some. Captain, sir! Oh, hello, number two. Having a nice day? I brought the prisoners I located in Freezer Base 7, sir! Hello. Hello, uh, hello. Oh, hello. Excuse me for not getting up. Just having a quick bath. Well, gin and tonics all round, then. Uh, look in the fridge, will you, number one? Certainly, sir. Don't you want to interrogate the prisoners, sir? Interrogate them, number two? Yes, sir. Torture them. Stick matchsticks under their fingernails. Stub out lighted cigarettes on their skins, sir. Now, why on earth would I want to do that? To get information out of them. Oh, no, 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 no. I expect they just dropped in for a quick gin and tonic, don't you? Can't I just interrogate them a little bit? Oh, all right, if you must. Ask them what they want to drink. Thank you, sir. All right, you scum, you vermin! Oh, steady on, number two. What do you want to drink? Well, the uh, gin and tonic sounds nice to me. Arthur? What? Uh, oh, yes. With ice or without? 
Oh, with, please. Lemon? Yes, please. And do you have any of those little biscuits? You know, the cheesy ones. I'm asking the questions here. Number two. Sir! Push off, would you please? There's a good chap. I'm trying to have a nice, relaxing bath. Sir, may I remind you that you've now been in that bath for over three years? Yes, well, you have to relax a lot in a job like mine. What on earth is going on? Could I ask you actually what your job is, in fact? Your drinks. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't help noticing, you know, the, um, the bodies. Bodies? Yes, all those dead telephone sanitizers and account executives, you know, in the hold. Oh, they're not dead. Good lord, no, they're just frozen. They're going to be revived. You really mean you've got a hold full of frozen hairdressers? Oh, yes, millions of them. Hairdressers, tired TV producers, insurance salesmen, personnel officers... Security guards! Management consultants, you name it, we've got it. We're going to colonize another planet. What? Exciting, isn't it? What, with, with that lot? Oh, don't misunderstand me. We're just one of three ships in the Ark fleet. With a B arc, you see. Sorry, could I just ask you to run a little bit more hot water for me? Thanks. Uh, do help yourself to more drinks, of course. Thanks. What's a uh, B arc? What? Oh, well. What happened, you see, was that our planet was doomed. Doomed? Oh, yes. So what everyone thought was let's pack the whole population into some giant spaceships and go settle on another planet. You mean a uh, less doomed one? Precisely. So it was decided to build these three ships, three arcs in space. I'm not boring you, am I? No, no, this is fascinating. Oh, it's delightful to have someone else to talk to for a change. Trouble with a long journey like this is that you end up just talking to yourself a lot, which gets terribly boring, because half the time you know what you're going to say next. Only, uh, half the time. Yes, about half, I'd say. Anyway, where's the soup? Oh, yes. Anyway, um, yes, the idea was that into the first ship, the A-ship, would go all the brilliant leaders, the scientists, the great artists, you know, all the achievers. And then into the third ship, the C-ship, would go all the people who actually did the actual work, who made things and did things. And then into the B-ship, that's us, would go everyone else, the middlemen, you see. And we were sent off first. But, um, what was wrong with your planet? Oh, it was doomed, as I said. Apparently it was going to crash into the sun, or... Or was it the moon that was going to crash into us? Oh, I thought it was that the planet was more or less bound to be invaded by a gigantic swarm of 12-foot piranha bees. That's not what I was told. My commanding officer swore blind that the entire planet was in imminent danger of being eaten by an enormous mutant stargo. Oh, really? Yes, and that he was just hoping that the ship he was going in would be ready in time. But they uh, made sure they sent all of you lot off first anyway. Oh, yes. Well, everyone said, very nicely, I thought, that it was very important for morale to feel that they would be arriving on a planet where they could be sure of a good haircut and where the phones were clean. Oh, yes. Well, I can see where that would be very important. <laughs> can you? And uh, this, uh, the other ships followed on after you, did they? Ah, well, it's funny you should mention that, because, curiously enough, we haven't actually heard a peep out of them since we left five years ago. But they must be behind us somewhere. Unless, of course, they were eaten by the goat. Ah, uh, yes, the goat. Hmm. You know, it's a funny thing. Now that I actually come to tell the story to someone else, I mean, does it strike you as a bit odd, number one? Uh... Um, well, I can see you've got a lot of things you're going to want to talk about, so thanks for the drinks, and if you could sort of drop us off at the nearest convenient planet. Ah, oh, well, that's a little difficult, you see, because our trajectory thingy was preset before we left Golga Frinch, and I think partly because I'm not actually very good with figures. When are you going to reach the planet you're meant to be colonizing? Oh, we're nearly there, I think, any second now. 
It's probably time I got out of the bath, in fact. Although I don't know why I stop when I'm enjoying it. So we're actually going to land in a minute? Well, not so much land, I think. As far as I can remember, we were programmed to crash on it. Crash? Yes, it's all part of the plan, I think. There was a terribly good reason for it, which I can't quite remember at the moment. You're a load of useless bloody loonies! Yes, that was it! The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has this to say about the planet of Golgofrinchum. It is a planet with an ancient and mysterious history, in which the most mysterious figures of all are, without a doubt, the great circling poets of Arium. These circling poets used to live in remote mountain climes, where they would lie in wait for small bands of unwary travelers, circle round them and throw rocks at them. And when the travelers cried out, saying, Why didn't they go away and get on with some writing poems instead of all this pestering people with rock-throwing business, they would suddenly break off and sing them an incredibly lengthy and beautiful song in which they told of how there once went forth from the city of Basilian a party of five sage princes with four horses. The first part of the song tells of how these five sage princes, who are, of course, brave, noble, and wise, travel widely in distant lands, fight giant ogres, pursue exotic philosophies, take tea with weird gods, and rescue beautiful monsters from ravishing princesses, before finally announcing that they have achieved enlightenment, and that their wanderings are therefore accomplished. The second and much larger part tells of all of their bickerings about which one of them is going to have to walk back. It was, of course, a descendant of these eccentric poets who invented the spurious tales of impending doom which enabled the people of Golgofrinchum to rid themselves of an entire useless third of their population. The other two-thirds, of course, all stayed at home and led full, rich, happy lives until they were all suddenly wiped out by a virulent disease contracted from a dirty telephone. Meanwhile, Arthur Dent, Ford Prefect, and an artload of frozen middle management men have crashed into the prehistoric dawn of a small blue-green planet circling an unregarded yellow sun at the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy. After a year or so, they convene a meeting to consider their position, which is not, on the whole, good. All right, I'd like to call this meeting to some sort of order if that's possible. Do we really need the Piper? Oh, yes, well, I think we've given him a grant. Care for a light trim, sir? Oh, not now. I'm in the bath. Hey, come on, everybody. Shut up. i got some important news. We've made a discovery. Is it on the agenda? Oh, don't give me that. Well, I'm sorry, but speaking as a fully trained management consultant, I must insist on the importance of observing the committee structure. We're on a prehistoric planet. Address the chair. There isn't a chair. There's only a rock. We'll call it a chair. Why not call it a rock? You obviously have no conception of modern business methods. And you have no conception of where the hell you are. Look, shut up, you two. I want to table a motion. Hold a motion, you mean? Thank you. I've made that point. Now listen. Order, order. Oh, God. I would like to call to order the 573rd meeting of the Colonization Committee of the Planet of Fintelwaddlewicks. Oh, this is futile. 573 meetings and you haven't even discovered fire yet. If you would care to look at the agenda sheet. Agenda rock! Go, go, go back and comb something, will you? You will see that we are about to have a report from the Hairdresser's Fire Subcommittee today. That's me! Yeah, well, you know what they've done, don't you? You gave them a couple sticks and they developed into a pair of bloody scissors. You're going to die out, you know that. Well, you're obviously being totally naive. 
When you've been in marketing as long as I have, you'll know that before any new product can be developed, it has to be properly researched. We've got to find out what people want from fire, how they relate to it, how they image it. Oh, go stick it up your nose. Which is precisely the sort of thing we need to know. Do people want fire that can be fitted nasally? Ah, and the wheel. What about this wheel thing? It sounds like a terribly interesting project. Uh, well, we're having a little difficulty there. Difficulty? It's a single simplest machine in the entire universe. All right, Mr. Wise Guy. If you're so clever, you tell us what color it should be. Oh, Marty Zorkron. Has no one done anything? Well... I declared war on the next continent! Declared war? There's no one even living there! Yes, but there will be someday, and we've left a sort of open-ended ultimatum. What? And we've blown up a few military installations. Military installations, number two? Yes, sir. Well, potential military installations. All right, trees. But we interrogated a gazelle. And, of course, Finland, the producer, has rescued a camera from the wreckage of the ship and is making a fascinating documentary on the indigenous cavemen of the area. Yes, and they're dying out. Haven't you noticed that? Yes, we must make a note to stop selling them in life insurance. But don't you understand? Just since we've arrived, they started dying out. Yes, and this comes over terribly well in the film he's making. I gather he wants to make a documentary about you next, Captain. Oh, really? That's awfully nice. He's got a very strong angle on it, you know, the the burden of responsibility, the loneliness of command. Ah, well, I wouldn't overstress that angle, you know. One's never alone with a rubber duck, you know. Whee! Uh, sir, skipper. If we could, for a moment, move on to the subject of fiscal policy. Fiscal policy? How could you have any money if none of you actually produce anything? It doesn't grow on trees, you know. If you would allow me to continue, since we decided a few weeks ago to adopt leaves as legal tender, we have, of course, all become immensely rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah true. true. But we also have run into a small inflation problem on account of the high level of leaf availability. Which means that, I gather, the current rate has something like three major deciduous forests buying one ship's peanut. So, in order to obviate this problem and effectively revalue the leaf, we are about to embark on a major, extensive defoliation campaign and uh, burn down all the forests. I think that's a sensible move, don't you? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. 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 Excuse me, does anyone have a rock? Can you pass it here? Thanks. Is it perhaps in order to inquire about what you've been doing all this time? You and that other interloper have been missing for months. Yeah, but with respect, love, we've been traveling around trying to find something about this planet. Well, that doesn't sound very productive. I thought... No? Well, I've got news for you. It doesn't matter a pair of fitted dingoes kidneys what you choose to do from now on. Burn down other force! Anything! It will make a scrap of difference! Two million years is all you've got, and that's it. At the end of that, your race will be dead, gone, and good riddance to you. Remember that. Two million years. Ah, oh, well, just time for another bath. Pass the sponge, somebody. No, no, Q scores 10, you see, and it's on a triple word score, so... Uh, I'm sorry, but I explained the rules. No, no, look, please, please put down that jo- jawbone, all right? We'll start again. And try to concentrate this time. Oh, what are you doing, Arthur? Trying to teach the cavemen to play Scrabble. It's uphill work. The only word they know is grunt, and they can't spell it. And would you please tell me what that is supposed to achieve? We've got to encourage them to evolve, Ford. Can you imagine what a world's going to be like that descends from those cretins over there? We don't have to imagine. Let's face it, we already know what it's like. We've seen it. There's no escape. 
Did you tell him what we discovered? Saw a bot fast signature on the glass, yeah? Nah, what's the point? Why should they listen? What's it to them that this planet happens to be called the Earth? And it happens to be my original home. Yes, but you weren't even born for nearly two million years, so they're likely to feel it's not a lot of your business. Face up to it, Arthur. Those Zebes over there are your ancestors, not these cavemen. Put the Scrabble away, it won't save the human race, because Mr. Ugg here is not destined to be the human race. The human race is currently sitting around that rock over there making documentaries about themselves. But there must be something we can do. No, nothing, not really nothing, because it's all been done. Listen, we've been backwards and forwards through time, and ended up here, two million years behind where we started. But that doesn't change the future, because we've seen it. Wise up, kid, there's nothing you can do to change it, because it's already happened. And now because we arrived here with the Golga Frenchums in the B-Arc. Yes. Poor oh, bloody cavemen. It's all been a bit of a waste of time for you, hasn't it? You've been out of all by a telephone sanitizer. Look, he's uh, pointing at the Scrabble. Uh, yeah, he's probably spent library with one hour again, poor bastard. No, he hasn't. Hey, no, look, it, it says 42. The experiment. It's something to do with the computer program to find the ultimate question. Hey, you know what this means, don't you? What? It must have gone wrong. If the computer matrix was set up to follow the evolution of the human race, through from the caveman, and we've had Rod been causing them to die out... And actually replaced them. Then the whole thing is cook up. So, whatever it was that Marvin spotted in my brainwave patterns is, in fact, the wrong question. Yeah, it might be right, but it's probably wrong. If only we could find out what it is. Well, how about... Look, if it's printed in my brainwave patterns, but I don't know how to reach it, supposing we introduce some random element which can be shaped by that pattern? Like? Pulling out letters from the Scrabble bag. Brilliant. That's bloody brilliant. Right, first four letters. Alright, um... W H A T What? What? Two more. D D O Do it's it's working. Hey, this is terrific. It's really coming. Y O U G E T What what do you get? More here. It I F U If you multiply I'm beginning to get a sinking feeling about this. If you multiply six by by nine by nine? Is that it? That's it. Six by nine. Forty-two. Something certainly got screwed up somewhere. I always said there was something fundamentally wrong with the universe. So, uh, what do we do now? I guess we just swallow our pride and go join up the human race. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's sad, though. Just at the moment, it's a very beautiful planet. It is indeed. The rich primal greens, the rivers snaking off in the distance, the burning trees. And in two million years, bang, it's destroyed by the Vergons. What a life for a young planet to look forward to. Well, better than some. I, I read of one planet off in the seventh dimension that got used as a ball in a game of intergalactic bar billiards. Got putted straight into a black hole. Killed ten million people. <sighs> Total madness. Yeah, only scored thirty points, too. Where'd you read that? Oh, a book. Which book was that? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, that thing.
I can hardly believe I'm saying this, but it's finally over. With the six produced by Not Them Productions, Colin Ghani, director Thomas Martinson, script supervisor Thomas Martinson, sound engineer Keith Harrison, sound editor Colin Ghani, and final mix by Colin Ghani. This netcast produced and edited for Power TV by Sean Orange, and with production assistance for this episode provided by That'sOrange.com. One more episode left! We are done presenting the primary phase of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We'll join us next week for our review of Fit the Sixth. We'll also be talking about the secondary phase of the, of the BBC radio series, including the three later phases based off the remaining books and the wholly inaccurately named trilogy that is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It is terribly unlikely that Not Them Productions will attempt to interpret this material, but we will be sure to ask them if they have any original productions up their collective sleeves. You're going to take out those huge pauses where I was speaking, right? Wait, the pauses where you were speaking or the pauses where you weren't speaking? <laughs> Come back next week to find out. Until then, this is Sean Orange, signing off.